0: This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yup, you got that right, that's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every nowhere, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. I had so much fun recording this episode. For one, I finally got to nerd out a little with a fellow keyboard player, something I used to be in another life. And just to clarify, uh, it's not something I don't do anymore at all, but it's just something that's not the center of focus in my artistic profile anymore. So apart from all the awesome chatting we got to do about stuff like keyboards and production ethics and live performance and touring as well as a keyboard player, this conversation turned pretty deep towards the end, wherein we ended up addressing some super important issues that are relevant to all musicians or entrepreneurs anyway. Things like authenticity, and a bit of a buzzword, but how it actually does play a role in the whole picture, and consistency, the kind which eventually leads to dreams like being nominated for a Grammy Award becoming a reality. So stick around, hear this of out. Before we move on though, this is me as usual reminding you that we are a completely independent show. So if you want to support us, please don't forget to go subscribe to us on a platform of your choice. Additionally, for those of you who are into mentorship or need help or support on your artistic or entrepreneurial journey, do not hesitate to get in touch on the TheHolisticMusicianAcademy.com. Without much further ado, Bastian Falco. Hello fellow beings, welcome. Bastian Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. All right, and we are officially
1: rolling Bastian Fokel in the house. How are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm fine. I just had a show yesterday and <laughs> still uh, missing some sleep, but apart from that, I'm fine. Where was your gig? Uh, it was in Munich. Nice. And uh, whereabouts are you now? Uh, I traveled uh, with the train to Berlin this morning, so I just arrived and enjoying the Berlin sun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's fantastic weather today. I'm actually um, in transit in uh, Mannheim, which is where we Ah. actually first met. Yeah, I'm flying uh, to Asia this Sunday, so... I'm in transit here, but it's fantastic weather here and I'm happy to hear that Berlin's as nice and sunny. Nice. Well, thanks for doing this to t- start off with. It's um, it's lovely to have you on the show, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invite.
0: No, absolutely. My pleasure and my honor. Um, I start off uh, usually by kind of trying to remind myself where I'd met uh, my guest and... Uh, In our case, it was very fleeting, it was a
1: one-time thing, but we did actually meet 3D. Yeah, we did, uh, in person at the Pop Academy in Mannheim, where we both studied. Indeed, indeed,
0: we were uh, alma maters. Uh, You say you were actually at the workshop, which I did with my friend Bernhard Schimpelsberger. I actually, uh, terrible person that I am, I actually don't remember meeting you there. I've obviously seen you around in college, but... uh, You want to jog my memory a little? Is that the workshop
1: actually you were referring to? The one with Bernard? Yeah, um, it was a masterclass about like also um, Indian music um, with different timings. And yeah, timing was a big part of it, I remember. I think it was something like two fifteen or two sixteen a long time ago. Okay, yeah, that that would have been the one with Bernard then. Wow, Well wow, I'm, I'm growing
0: old, man. <laughs> time is running. Time is running indeed. Where do you suggest we best start? I'd love to know where your musical journey started, like way back to the roots, where you grew up, your earliest mu- memories of music. You reckon that's a good place to start
1: off at? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I. Um, I was born in a town which is near to uh, Siegen and Marburg, which is uh, in North Rhine-Westphalia. The biggest city which is nearby might be Cologne. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a really, yeah, not like a city area, but um, there wasn't that much music to do. So I did the best I could. Um, so I went to like the local music school, uh, played some flute and um, yeah, yeah, nice. just made my way into The school and, um, school band was a big part of me when I started playing keys. Um, yeah. And then somehow, uh, yeah, I managed the way to get to Pop Academy. First, I thought I'm doing the, yeah, normal way and study, uh, yeah, to become a music teacher actually. But, um, when I heard about Pop Academy, I, I thought this has to be my goal and I have to go there, you know. Oh, nice. And there's
0: nice some nice stuff to unpack there. You say there wasn't a lot of music around you growing up. May I ask you to elaborate a little about what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, oh, my my parents um, have a great music taste. So there was like a huge CD collection with um, old school stuff, um, which I love. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, um, it's, a, it's a really small town. It's called Bad Berleburg. It's, uh, it has like, I think with every village, it has uh, 20,000 people living there. Nice. Just not that much. So, for example, I couldn't attend like a music um class at school, like to have like um your x ex- your final exam with music. That wasn't possible because there wasn't uh, there weren't enough people around it. Mm-hmm. Um so I tried to do everything. I played in church, uh I was accompanying a gospel choir. Um nice. I played in the local school band, like I told you, uh, and I also I also played um horn. <laughs> for some years really so um, because there weren't that many bands around um, yeah I tried to do the most out of it so you made the music happen yeah and I also um, I tried everything just to try it to have tried it you know just um, do everything you could nice man
0: I think that's very inspiring for a lot of us listening especially a lot of members of my audience who uh, probably don't always find themselves in very nurturing environments for the musical journey but it just goes to show you know there's always there's always something you can be proactive about to kind of make it happen I mean you came from there and eventually went on to become a Grammy award winning keyboardist and songwriter so for my listeners listening I know I made that sound a little dramatic but I think that's like an important uh, aspect to kind of take note of at this point just saying yeah Um, if I may I'm curious though you say um, you were struggling to find music inspiration and like trying really hard working hard at your music I've noticed though you have some really solid technique man your chops are really really super solid so what, what were your earliest musical um, roots, Like, did you start off playing classical piano or were you just learning on an autodidactic basis or could you take us through Um, that part a little?
1: Yeah, it was the other way around because I started with with a classic (laughs) entertainer keyboard if you know what I mean. Really? uh, Where you play chords in your left hand and then a melody with your right hand and you have the whole band integrated into the keyboard. Yeah, of course. Um, like the uh, y- the old Yamahas. yeah yeah and um i think i got the keyboard when i was 9 and um i had like a private teacher for some years but i also had a pause um yeah for some years and then when i got into the school band um i was playing cover ba- uh, cover songs for the first time and mm-hmm. it's a completely different world because i had to um yeah see okay i have to um have this sound ready for this kind of um, bridge for example or I have to find this uh, the right solution to play two different sounds at the same time right Sound and design. that was yeah it, and it was a lot of fun also just to get into different um, electronic instruments um I have to play a synth pad in another way than uh, a piano or a Hammond organ mm-hmm. so um, that was an influence for me um, I Did a lot of research on the internet, um, how to place sounds, how to shape sounds. And I also, uh, had to learn, um, yeah, piano (laughs) in that kind of way. Um, when I was like 14, because I was just playing, um, yeah, just playing keyboards with, um, left, uh, uh, the left hand with uh, just a chord function, not like bass notes. You yeah, know, if you know yeah. what I mean.
0: Actually, so, I don't know exactly what you mean. I have like a similar story, uh, slightly different. But sorry, didn't didn't mean to interrupt. To keep going.
1: Uh, no, it's it's fine. Um, and that was like a a lot of pressure for me because it's it's, it's these are two different instruments. Indeed. And. Um, Playing in the band, playing keyboard in the band is something completely different than playing piano or, or than playing keyboard as a standalone. Absolutely. And um, that really, yeah, was a learning
0: progress. Do you remember the moment you first realized that, wow, these are like very different
1: instruments altogether, even though they look similar? Um, I, cho- I played in a small, um, it wasn't a big band it was named like a big band but it was just a small ensemble with uh, some trumpets and stuff and i played on a grand piano for the first time mm-hmm. and i had these um sheets and i just had to play both systems at the same time and i wasn't used to that um so i really had to sit down and go note by note and um See that it's um, something completely else because it's not focused on any sounds. It's just focused on having the right feel about it. If you know, if you have like an instrument like a piano, um, and that was really interesting and also quite hard to learn, actually.
0: Yeah, I can totally imagine, man. I can relate. I started off taking piano lessons, uh, in the beginning, like classical stuff, uh, around, you know, the pretty early around six and then around. You know, eleven, twelve. In fact, when I was it was when I was visiting my cousins in Freiburg in Germany, they had one of those. Well, in their case, it was one of those Casio ones. Uh, I went oh. to other camp, <laughs> but also like left hand accompaniment and like sounds and everything changed. Then I was like, wow, I want to make these weird sounds instead. Who wants to play piano anymore? Except when I went back home. Um, at home at that time was in India my parents struck me a deal and said okay we've got this piano all the way over from London for you to practice on and you you've been you've been cheating on it so uh, oh. I'll we'll strike you a deal you know practice piano a little you know be a little better at that and we'll buy you one of those keyboards if that's what it takes and uh, that's how it kind of started so by the time I was 14 I was kind of like more... A keyboard player than I was a pianist and that changed again yeah. when I went to college
1: later on and got more into piano but um, the story. Yeah, same story for me actually yeah, yeah exactly yeah? Tell, like, tell me more so I had the same problem and um, I think it's also a thing um, when you are like maybe starting at a really young age with piano I think it's quite hard because um, yeah you, it's, it's it's a really big instrument if you're starting for example as a six year old child I know um, right and with the keyboard, it's something different because um, you can have a song ready um, after a few lessons. And with the exactly. piano, it's usually yeah, lasting like a bit longer, you know.
0: It can be so intimidating for a child, actually.
1: Yeah. I mean, the sheer size of
0: it, if you think about it. I think, you know, I think some of my childhood piano trauma still kind of rings somewhere in my brain. Because at times <laughs> I feel like the piano is so much bigger than I am, which it is, but sometimes I'm like, wow, am I even capable of handling this huge thing <laughs> i have these panic yeah. attacks every now and then i think you just made me realize that might be one of the reasons that earliest memory it's like you know the first time you meet someone your first memory of them in this case the piano always remains the same
1: especially if it's a, a big grand piano like a Steinway. Um, oh jesus I yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's
0: terrifying for a kid could be or well would have been for me anyway i was always shy actually so You say you heard about the Pop Academy and knew that was where you wanted to head. Tell us more about that. What what was it about that prospect that made you so sure
1: that that's what you wanted to do? So I wanted to study um, music in some way, you know, and um, usually you can go to the university of the town nearby, which is Siegen, Mm -hmm. and become a music teacher. And um, that's what I thought it may be the right decision for me mm-hmm. but um, then I had a, yeah, like a master class with Christian music and mm-hmm. there was a keyboard player who also studied at the pop academy uh, a couple of years ago and he told me about this institution that it's uh, focused on pop music and that you have a real degree afterwards and that you don't have to pay like uh, <laughs> a few thousand bucks every year to just attend studies you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so This was uh, a couple of months before um, sending my stuff to the Pop Academy to get invited. Okay. And um, so I tried really hard, Uh, it was in winter, to just make everything ready. And after my uh, final exam at school, I drove to Mannheim and, um, yeah, had the audition. Mm -hmm. And luckily, uh, I started studying with 18 years there. Wow,
0: mad respect,
1: man. So you got accepted right away. Yeah, and it, I was
0: I was so lucky. <laughs> I mean, it, it couldn't have been just luck. Tell me a little about your musical um, activities at the time. When you went to audition, what were your musical activities like? Were you playing in bands? Were you writing songs? Were you working with songwriters? Or was it just mostly self-study?
1: It was a lot of self-study, but uh, also this project I had. I played in a local rock band with some friends. Mm-hmm. And playing in a rock band... Um, it's it's really hard as a keyboardist because oh, yeah, you have to yeah. fill in the right spots and not overplay it. Yeah, uh, I also still played in school bands and different projects, but um, there wasn't that much stuff to do. So I was uh, really looking forward to meet people in Mannheim. And actually that also happened.
0: Nice. I want to dig into that in the meeting, But I do want to get into what you just said about being a keyboard player in a rock band can be so tough that's so true man it's it's like keyboard players and rock bands always have been treated a little like a minority (laughs) it's like it's great if you're there but we're not really sure if you want to play what you want uh, but on our terms uh that's been my experience have yours been similar or have you had more freedom artistically while playing these bands
1: i was free but um I ended up doubling a lot of stuff with synth leads or something, or right. even, um, having distorted Hammonds as, um, yeah, as a addition to, uh, guitar walls, you know, yeah. uh, just to beef it up a little and to make it even more fat, yeah. um, Yeah, but you're not existing on stage, basically, because you're just adding up. (laughs) Exactly. And it's
0: actually, it's just such a poorly acknowledged job, because these are really legitimate, deep musical roles you're playing, you know, to understand at such an early age what it means to beef up a sound, or like doubling a certain texture to make the overall sound like really pop, Mm. things like that. I guess the positive side to it is you're already, from the very onset, we're kind of uh, forced to think more deeply about music and not just do it for the limelight totally yeah and in your case it's clearly paid off don't want to gush just yet so uh, tell
1: us about your audition man how did that feel were you nervous i was really nervous because um i had three universities um so i um i auditioned mannheim stuttgart and osnabruck mm-hmm and Stuttgart was labeled as a pop study, but in fact it was jazz. Yeah. So I, I was the only one coming with like a synth. Oh my God. And they wanted me to play jazz standards. And right. that's uh, of course. That wasn't the right thing for me. Um, so I failed and... <laughs> Uh, This was the first audition, so I was really nervous before Mannheim. And it was when I got there; it was so chill. Like, uh, Mace, the keyboard um, coach, came to me and was like, "Oh, you brought your own board? Great. Um, Let's set it up. Um, Did you have a nice drive?" Um, It was really like so friendly. Nice. And um, I played. uh, What did I play? I I brought a a friend of mine who who is a singer. Um, We did an own song, just piano and voice. I did a funk. And I played Flying to the Moon. Nice. Yeah, and then also some stuff afterwards because they want to know your weaknesses and everything, you know. Of course,
0: of course. Shout out to Maze, man. That's so kind of him to kind of make the effort to kind of acknowledge tiny little things like that, like the drive and you bringing your own instrument. So shout out to Maze. Um. You got accepted, and for for my audiences, most of them are actually more international, just to, just for context. The Pop Academy is kind of Europe's most elite uh, university for studying pop music, songwriting. It sounds a lot more trivial than it is. It sounds like Pop Academy like school or something, but it's actually pretty much one of the very few places in the world where you can study what they offer. And it's a, like a state-certified university degree, and uh, they have about a few thousand... Well, I don't know if it's what it's like now, but in my, I think in my batch there were about a thousand applicants for twenty-five seats, so it's actually very tough to get in. Crazy. At least at the time, it was the toughest music university to get in in Germany. Hmm. Even though, I mean, that's probably a controversial statement because so many other elements involved. But uh, the reason I go into all of this is why do you think what? Um, Clearly, when you arrived, you were still very much a work in progress in the, as a musician. I mean, we always are a work in progress. But at the time, this was pretty much the first time you were kind of venturing out of your comfort zone. And yet, you got selected. So what do you think was the work you put in to kind of be prepared for that next stage of your musical journey?
1: Um, I think um, I think they saw potential um, t- because I was uh, a blank sheet of paper, you know? Um mm. I did everything, um, a bit, but um, I wasn't like specialized on something mm-hmm. and, um, I was just like a, a working keyboardist who was interested in everything just to do uh, every style, uh, which is available. Um, gotcha. and that's uh, at the pop academy, um, there's the opportunity to, to just do what you want to have your own project to maybe get into drum and bass or have a reggae band or have a pop band. Um. Um, it's not focused on pop that you have to do like classical German pop music right. you can do whatever you want and there are so many crazy people burning for the same thing mm. and um, yeah that really helped a lot but that was once you were into into that community
0: yeah. but for those of uh, our audience members who are at a stage where they're preparing
1: for an audition kind of I think you have to show um, what you can do and don't show things you 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 can't do. So if you if you are not into playing accordion, then don't play accordion at the audition, uh, at the audition. Mm. And um, also, I think um, it was a plus that I um, had an original song with me. Nice. Um, so not just playing covers, but also being a composer or songwriter is a plus because that's still my everyday job uh, right. in some extent. Yes and um yeah also just to be open and to get, get to know some styles like um if you are into reggae um, just that you know what keyboard functions you play when you have a reggae beat because they will ask you f- for it
0: right so basically general awareness and research having a basic idea of what it is you want to do as a musician don't try to play jazz if you want to be a songwriter uh, or you know, pop keyboard player, uh, or don't try to necessarily go out of your way to be a songwriter if what you really want to do is pursue a career in jazz. Mm. And uh, also being open enough, where people have the impression that they can work with you. I guess you say you were like a blank page of paper. You were also really young, but also I'm guessing they saw potential to collaborate with you. You know, see a collaborative potential there. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree.
0: Nice. Oh, I, I ordered... think it
1: was. Sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. No, 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 no. You're the guest, please. <laughs> I think it was also, um, yeah, a relief when I got there because um, I had the, the chance to do everything um, what I couldn't do before.
2: Mm.
1: Because um, if I wanted to have, like, a hard rock band or, um, for example, a funk band, I didn't have, have the opportunity before to um, to have a band like that because. There weren't enough people around who played um an instrument on that level and had the aim to um, be a professional musician and that changed when I got to Mannheim right, so basically leveling up yeah, nice.
0: Is that where you met Alice as well, Alice Merton? Uh, yeah, we were in the same class nice but what to start off with? What were your initial? Phases like at the public Academy me, like getting into that music student mode, was it something um, that uh, you know felt good, felt right? Did it feel like hard work? Did it feel effortless? And then, how did your long
1: term collaboration with Alice actually start? So, um, the first year was really tough because, um, it's the which is called Grundstudium, which means like the foundation, yeah, the foundation, yeah, um, and yeah, it's um, it's a lot of stuff because you have to focus on your main subject, on your second subject, so your second instrument. Yeah, you have to do business courses, and you also have to do music theory and oh, so so much stuff. Um, choirs, um, there's so much stuff going on. Indeed. Uh, so that was a lot of stress, um, and after it, I went to study abroad in the Netherlands in Tilburg. Oh really? You did in uh, like a. At semester abroad yes and uh, it also was um, the right decision to do it but it was even more stressful because um, I studied almost everything there I studied keys I studied guitar I studied songwriting I even did a um, study in bass and um, it was a lot of stuff I, I learned a lot from my workflow there mm-hmm. because at the Pop Academy I um, they're not focused on um, the life of a session musician
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and at the pop and at the rock academy in Tilburg uh, which is the partner institution um, there was like a session program where local artists are coming to the classes and you get a list of their songs like two days in advance and then um, you have a rehearsal with them and you just uh, you just count in, and every everyone is playing the, hopefully the right stuff. Right, and uh, that really helped me a lot to get into uh, programming programming sounds, writing sheets, uh, and having a workflow when there's a new project coming. Nice. Um, so that influenced me a lot, and um, after the studies, there to come back to your point, uh, I had no bands anymore at the pop academy <coughs> um, because I was <laughs> not there anymore. And, um, Alice was, uh, looking for a keyboard player and, um, she was doing, um, different style back then, more like, um, acoustic, folk music. Mm-mm. And she wanted to develop, um, into more poppy songs. So I got into the band and at the beginning I just played some pads and Hammond, um, just to you know, beef it up a bit. Interesting. And, um, yeah, from there, she wrote new songs, also wrote <laughs> some hits, like mm-hmm. No Roots. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we started as a uni band.
0: No way, that is crazy. I was just seeing your uh, performance on The Tonight Show. Was it The Tonight Show? Uh,
1: yeah, we did um, every Tonight, uh, we did, we did um, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon, right. That's uh, We did uh, James Corden. And we also did Jimmy
0: Kimmel twice. The one on Jimmy Fallon, man, that, that performance is killer. I mean, it's very evident that it's actually a live band playing, which is so refreshing to see on TV. And you guys did a killer job. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's the kind of thing like, yeah, man, that's what a pop band should really sound like. So well rehearsed. So, you know, everything's just where it's supposed to be. And Alice is killing it. Yeah, this is where it starts getting really interesting. I mean, talk about being at the right place at the right time. You leave for a semester, come back to find no bands, and then you end up finding a ter who goes on to be an international star. Looking back, did you, did you have any idea that's where your career was headed? Uh,
1: absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine. So wh- how did that uni band in starting off with pads and little Hammonds with an acoustic singer-songwriter set
1: move develop into what it's become today?
0: What happened next?
1: So, uh we rehearsed a lot okay. uh, like a yeah? couple of times uh, a week nice. and
0: um how many of you at this point was it still just the two of you or were there other members as well? Uh, we had
1: like a full band, so okay. like um every instrument and then Alice Right. And, um,
0: oh, hang on. So when you joined, you joined the band or were you, was it just the two of you? Was it a duo? I joined the
1: band. Okay. Okay. I joined a, a band without a keyboardist uh, because Alice right. was also playing a lot of piano back then. Okay. Got it. And, um. This way, she could be free on the stage, so she doesn't have to play piano all the time. Mm-hmm. She's coming from the piano, and she's a great piano uh, player. It's nice. um, yeah, her roots like p- um, playing classical piano.
2: Oh, amazing!
1: I think around two fifteen she started to, um, yeah, to going back and forth between Berlin and Mannheim to write songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and she also wi- uh, wrote new an roots and um, some other songs, um, which we still play live.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, we had to get to know, uh, we had to get um, all the different parts, you know, just um, to, you had to have a completely new workflow because you're just getting, uh, yeah, sent like stamps and then you have to find your own parts. And uh, also working with backing tracks and um, live backing vocals. Uh, It's a lot of stuff um, happening there. And from that day on, um, we also focused on, yeah, playing it even more big than the record, um just to have some extras uh, in there, in the arrangements That is not just playing the whole song, but also extending it a little uh, mm. with also some, um yeah, some help of the um teachers at the Pop Academy.
0: Yeah, I was just about to ask, were you being coached at the time and who was coaching
1: you? We had Frank It, who's nice. the bass player at the Pop mm-hmm. Academy, right. and also Mace sometimes and also Oliver Porschmann, mm-hmm. but uh, Frank was the biggest influence. Nice. Such how, a nice guy. How would you say he was the biggest influence? Because, uh, yeah, he's, a, he's an engineer. He, he knows frequencies so well. Mm. And um, he's really focused on, yeah, not overdoing stuff and also, like, simplifying arrangements... Because if you have like 30 tracks doing more or less the same, you won't hear them in the audience. Mm. So you have to focus on important functions. And, um. Thank you so much for bringing this up. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of pop these days is so overloaded with stuff and, um, shiny things. And when it comes to live arranging, it's, it's a completely different world. Yeah. Tell us more. Uh, yeah. That you have to just cancel some, some stuff and also like, um, bring some elements more to the front um, whether it's a live part for example if you have a guitar solo it takes some times until people are getting that there is a guitar solo happening
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, yeah also having stuff simplified with um, loops and backing tracks and also triggers it's a lot of work but um, yeah we are still managing to um, improve every day. Could you give
0: us a, a couple of examples, like even if they're just hypothetical, of a really bad way to manage this aspect of arrangement and a really good way, like worst case
1: scenario and best case scenario of a musical situation? So um, as a keyboardist, I would say that it's a lot of pop stuff, which is played live at the moment. The parts that you are playing, they're like so boring and so easy. hmm I sometimes um, try to be an octopus and <laughs> play um, yeah, as much as I can live mm-hmm. because I don't see the point of having everything on the track and just playing piano all the time. Right. And um, same with drums. Um, for this tour, uh, we had the problem that we had to have some drum sounds in addition to the natural drum sounds. So we had to find our way into drum triggering and um, having different outputs for that and that's a lot of programming programming stuff and also having loops live loops that Alice can be free mm. and um yeah i think a bad thing would be if everything would be on the tracks and you're just yeah not really playing it
0: so are you um are you kind of in charge of all the loops and all the samples on stage or are you sharing it with the drummer or someone else or how do you go about it
1: so, um, Lucas, uh, the drummer, Lucas Heibi and I are, um, focusing on having everything ready. He's, uh, operating all the stuff, all the Ableton stuff, but in it, uh, we are all, always speaking with Alice about it and seeing which elements we want to have, um, into rehearsals nice. and cutting everything and putting everything into the live arrangements. Also, um, just to have the connection with our front of house engineer. Uh, that everything is well translated into the live um, music, you know. Fantastic.
0: So I have a free gift for you. I realize that might sound a little say-spitchy, but legit, free gift. I have a practice log, which I've been using for a few years with my clients and for myself. I use it both for practicing my instrument, if I'm practicing piano or any other instruments I play, or for my workout routine. It's super simple to use. And you can go download it for free at holisticpianoacademy.com. There's no catch. It's just something I've really found to be extremely beneficial in these very trying times to find some clarity and set priorities. So if there's something you'd like to avail, go to holisticpianoacademy.com. You referred to something about, you know, figuring out the right headspace. That's not the word you used, but I'm just kind of hijacking what you said a little bit. And like, for example, making it a little easier for the audience or making it more apparent when a guitar solo or a keyboard solo is part of a specific music scenario and how that needs to be treated differently live as opposed to a a studio production maybe. Um, Could you tell us a little more about that? Like what would you recommend bands do in order to make these musical instances more
1: apparent and more, you know, accessible to the audiences? I think it's a lot of um, a lot about um, mixing, a live mixing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and also like I told you to simplify stuff. If there's a, if you have a guitar solo, for example, um, if there are so many backing tracks still going at the same time in the background, um, maybe you have to cut some out. And also, um, when it comes to stage presence, if you have a guitar solo, you have to go into the front and just share it with the audience. And um, I think it's a mixture between performing, mixing, and also focusing on the right parts. Um, and even also um, making sounds more aggressive um, because I'm um, actually, sometimes I'm using pianos and putting them into a drive or into um, like a distortion just to have more aggressive sounds and that they mix more with the guitar or um, with the different tracks we have. Nice. So. I think it's a lot about effects and also, yeah, simplifying some stuff
0: nice. I like how you say simplifying. So I'm assuming and when you say simplify, you're taking a subtractive method. yeah, exactly. So maybe not playing a certain part to make more space for another. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, space nice.
1: I like that. yeah, that's so helpful. And like like Prince is also uh, also saying like uh, that the uh, uh, sixth uh, member of the band is space or like silence. <laughs> oh, yes
0: thank you so much I love that it's the sixth member of the band is Space oh high five
1: man I love that I love that Space is my best friend yeah it's so important yeah. very much so is. also when it comes to um, live arrangements and have having like um, dramatic uh, spaces um, for example we have um, a, a tour intro um, on this tour mm-hmm. and there's just a big build up coming with distorted guitars synth bass and um, big drum hits and then there's just a really big um, break with a high synth pad on I think uh, on a minor chord and then Alice is coming in and walking on the stage and that's um, I think that's a great example for space Mm, the somewhat you know
0: visual aspect to space and kind of enhancing the entire experience yeah exactly so good thanks thank you so much for sharing that I want to rewind a little bit I mean we've kind of fast forwarded a little to how things are today but there's Lots of interesting stuff I'd like to pick your brain on towards the earlier days of a collaboration with Alice. So, and I'm going to try and summarize a little. You come back from the Netherlands, find yourself without a band and end up joining one where they were missing a keyboard player. And you started mm-hmm. off just by playing some pads and Hammonds just beefing up the sound. And you eventually go on to become co-writer with Alice. So between... Uh, t- no, I didn't. No, you I'm didn't. Not- involved in any writing oh sorry my bad my bad sorry please uh, my bad excuse me there but eventually that, that how has that journey been between being the last member in the band to have entered to have formed a long-time collaboration and a relationship what would you say is uh, the primary uh what do you think it worked
1: sorry i'm being a very bad podcaster right now uh, no problem um i th- i think we um I think it's about loyalty and also, nice. yeah, about being consistent. And, um, we did a lot together. We played shows in Stuttgart in front, like back in the day in 2016, 15 in front of 10 people or something. Nice. And, um, we did this <laughs> small sh- club showcases. And then, um, in 2000, at the end of 2016, Roots came out and in 2017, the hype started in Germany. So right. um, we got to play all these festivals and the slots were getting bigger and bigger. So um, we just played support shows and then we were headlining some shows, uh, playing radio sh- uh, festivals, um, but mainly focused in Germany
2: mm.
1: until the end of 2017. And then um, we got to manage uh, to find our way to, to uh, get into the States. Mm-hmm. and um yeah played radio showcases headline shows there mm-hmm. which was a lot of touring
2: mm-hmm.
1: and 2018 um was crazy because uh, i think it was the most um yeah important year of touring um it was i think 130 shows or something nice and um yeah um, playing our first european tour all around europe like 30 shows nice uh, playing Big festivals um, all over the world, um, especially in the States, and um, being in Canada, um, and that was really uh, that was a lot. Yeah, I um, can imagine. Um, also, like headlining big festivals, like Exit Festival, for example, mm-hmm. um, was a big thing.
0: How did the hype feel when you when you could you feel the hype coming on? Did you feel that? oh something just happened, and my life's never going to be the same again
1: um or you could was it feel just the hype. process um it was not an overnight thing but you could could feel that the song went rival in Germany first then Europe then the states mm-hmm. and then even in other regions of the world because um we also played in Mexico at the end of 2019 nice. um also played um some shows in eastern europe even in um, istanbul um Yeah, it was a lot. Amazing. When the tour started getting intense,
0: was it easy for you to deal with? I mean, also from a self-care point of view, from a health point of view, it's a lot to deal with, like 130 shows. I haven't played 130, but I think in my most intense year, I came close to 100, or actually Mm. a little more. Um, And I know it's a very different physical experience was it something you were prepared for or did you have to up your game there as well?
1: I think you have to learn it because um, it's tough, Even uh, especially if you're traveling um, in the States in different time zones and you have a radio showcase in the morning and you have a flight at 4 a.m., for example, mm. traveling to the next city, having the radio showcase, setting up for the headline show in the evening, playing the headline show, um, being out at like midnight and flying to the next city. its It's tough um it's a full time job yeah it and, sounds so glamorous um, from the outside but the behind the scenes it isn't it isn't um i think these days um when it comes to this kind of traveling you really have to focus on self care and, and also on yeah not being the rock and roll kind of guy Indeed. Uh, so drinking alcohol in in a big extent uh, isn't a thing anymore if you have to Yeah, be ready for for the next day.
0: For sustainable careers. Yeah. Getting wasted every night is not, not the, not very highly recommended. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And yeah, also, um, to play more or less the same, the same show every night. Um, it was tough for me sometimes because I thought I would lose, um, some creativity. Mm. Um, because also with Corona, I think you always want to have what you don't have. Mm -hmm. So during these times with touring, I also wanted to focus on writing songs and um, creating productions. And when Mm -hmm. Corona happened, I wanted to play live shows. So um, (laughs) that's always (laughs) the case, I guess.
0: Kind of, yeah. I guess it's just, you know, feeling... I mean, it's human nature. I guess we need... To be reminded of the privileges that we have in our everyday life every now and then by not having them for a while. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a crappy thing to say, but kind of is human nature. The brain needs a little bit of deprivation, for lack of a better term, every now and then, to be reminded of what it really gets to enjoy. Exactly, yeah. The US, what was that like? I'm guessing, did you fly with all of your equipment or did you use... uh, Backliners did you rent equipment? what's that like like when you're touring intercontinental
1: um how do you figure out the logistics of stuff like gear? um there were times where we tried to fly with equipment, but that didn't really <laughs> work mm. um because um yeah, we tried to travel with the drum set at the airport, and everyone hates you um, with the drum set yeah, and even with my nord i have I had like a small Nord stage um. Yeah. For, um, for this tour and it got stuck in Amsterdam oh, one shit. day and it didn't arrive in Chicago so I had to get the rental and transfer all my files and sounds how do you do that um, USB or do you use your laptop yeah I had all the um, sounds on my laptop as a backup luckily uh, so I just good co- man upload the files into the Nord nice. but I also have um, a small MIDI keyboard like a 4 octave thing which is fitting into my Pelican case mm. so I also have a second keyboard just to control Ableton and my sounds nice. and um, yeah that was the way to do it and also yeah to get a drum case to put your interface on so a lot of rock and roll back in the day
2: mm-hmm. but
1: um, the last times we were in the state we just used rental gear Um North stage is available in, yeah, in almost every country. Pretty much. And I have the files ready. Um, our drummer is having an endorsement with Tama and nice. he's just getting a nice drum set. Good stuff. And you just travel with a, with a little rack and, uh, your laptops. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. That, that's kind of the future, especially if you're traveling between Europe and the US, the whole electrical thing is different,
1: right? So... Yeah. Um, with the Nord, you have to uh, change it to, uh, 110. Right. And, um, yeah, you also have to check, uh, yeah, that your baggage is not getting lost, you know. Oh, yeah. That's that's true. One I remember, we had this one... case once in sorry sorry please. no no we had this case once in Montenegro where we lost all our personal belongings. Um, nice, <laughs> that sounds like fun. Yeah, and we had to play the show as a half playback show. Oh good. And also play in jogging shorts on stage because we didn't have any yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, any clothing with us, which was. Tough.
0: <laughs> well, so did you not have any time to go shopping quickly before going
1: on stage? Or did you have to go directly? Fortunately, not, because it was in the middle of nowhere. And after we were in Italy and our promoter bought some stuff, which was really, really convenient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's tough when you have um, when you lose all your personal belongings. And um, I think that showed up after three days or something.
0: Where, where did it show up?
1: Um, They were brought to my home address in Mannheim. Nice. Good stuff. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a classic, just
0: not being able to find your baggage. Were you the one a few years back who told me about how I remember um, doing like a, like reaching out for help on uh, traveling with Nords about flight cases? Were you the one who made a recommendation and told me about how he's flying with his Nord stage in the flight case?
1: Could be. Think it might have been i just had like a um like a really light um flight case with wheels underneath mm-hmm. like an alligator or no just a um i think it was made by tone or by session okay uh, but it it still works it's still uh existent and not destroyed nice and it's usually coming out at um uh big, uh, like, how do you, Oversized luggage, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you just collect it. You have to wait a little longer, but usually, if you're lucky, uh, you always receive it. Nice. Have you ever tried carrying it on as cabin baggage? Um, I have, like, a... I'm a Nord endorser, so I also have um, the small Nords, like the Electro. Yeah. And if you're flying um, premium airlines, like um, British Airways, for example, and you are... Uh, you are friendly, maybe you can take it to the cabin and put it in an overhead locker.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's always the risk I'm always trying to kind of,
1: you know. Um, but also, um, it should be a premium airline. Um, so I think um, EasyJet or Ryanair would be pissed about it. <laughs>
0: yeah, i had strange experiences with... Um Premium airlines as well. FYI, I'm a Nord artist too. So shout out to Nord. They've been so super cool. Um, and I have a couple of uh, the smaller ones as well, the Electro. And to be fair, I did travel, like fly a lot with the Electro, the smaller Electro, the 61. Mm-hmm. But I was always so paranoid because the thing is, when you it's the two complete different setups. If you want to check it in, or if you want to take it as cabin baggage. Yeah. So if you're taking it as cabin, it's always the soft case. If you plan on taking it on cabin baggage, and I'm always so paranoid that they're going to force me to check it in. Yeah. And checking it in in a soft case is just—I know that's the death of that instrument. Yep. Yeah Uh, because i've seen people i mean my first flight was when i was seven months old so i've kind of lived my whole life on airplanes and i know how people (laughs) treat luggage so the psychological stress of it you know it was just so much to bear that i kind of gave up on it so now i've kind of tried to keep local sources for my nords and kept a few nords in different parts of the world that sounds crazy but it's actually my life um and I also, FYI, this might be interesting, I also found a new instrument recently called the Piano de Voyage, which is a modular piano which packs into your, like, divides itself into four parts. Oh. Packs into your, yeah, I can hook you up if you want. Um, that would be nice. Yeah, I was actually chatting to this dude called Noah Kelman. I don't know if you know him, he's like this very well. Oh, he's a great piano player. He's amazing, yeah. So he was on the podcast yesterday and we were both uh, endorsing this Piano de Voyage. Instrument as well, that's crazy, and yeah, that's a fantastic solution actually. So I'm happy to hook you folks up if you uh, would like to get in touch and look for a you know online solution. I recently went on tour in Portugal with it, and it actually and I kind of premiered my like an acoustic uh, set with with just piano and vocals, and it actually works. It actually sounds good. The action is something that gives you access to like if you have a decent piano plugin, it actually sounds good. Oh, nice. Sorry, man. I'm, I just
2: went on a the ramble there about stuff that is not related to you. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, could you repeat the question again? Sorry. We are almost at an hour now. How, how are you with time?
1: I think there's something wrong with the connection at the moment. Really? No, it's working again. Sorry, I just had like a dropout with your sound. I just understand whole and then it was away. <laughs> oh, really? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, yeah. man.
0: Actually, it might be my connection because I'm at a hotel. It's, it's like a, one of those business apartments, you know.
1: And I uh, see. Ah, okay.
0: Their internet is supposed to be like business grade, but I'm afraid to say they it's not quite what it promises to be. So there have been some okay. weak moments. So apologies. It might have been me as well. Um. I was just saying, how much, how, how much time do you, do you have? We are uh, uh, roughly at an hour. If you're in a rush, I know you're a busy man. No, I, I have an off day today, so I'm easy.
1: Nice. Uh, so where is your next gig? Uh, we play in Dortmund tomorrow. Nice. And then continuing in Frankfurt, Cologne, and um, also Hamburg and some other cities. And then we are going on a support tour with Bastille. A British uh, band um, in Eastern Europe and also in Switzerland, um, Italy, and Spain. And I will be home, I guess, in at first of December. Yeah.
0: Wow! I lucked out big time to have you on as a guest in between tour, man. Yeah, gladly it worked. (laughs) I'm very glad too. Thanks again. All the more reason uh, to say thank you again for coming on. Here's something that I'd really like to um, help my audience get to uh, get a better feel for um, long-term collaborations. You talked, we got into it. You talked about loyalty and about roughing it out, about playing gigs, which are sometimes just ten people at the time. Did you know, like, what what was it? Because loyalty is also, you know, it's a two-way street. What was it about the entire project at the time, which? helped you navigate your instincts like know that okay this is a band I want to be loyal to why were you loyal if I may ask
1: I think when um, people outside our business are looking at our like Instagram profiles or stuff they always see <laughs> yeah the the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. and um, so true. to be a musician these days um, and not being like with a triple A major artist it's not that glamorous um So you have to get used to shady backstage areas and um, small crowds, or even uh, crowds who are not, um, yeah, into it at all. Mm -hmm. And um, if you, yeah, you have to, you have to think about your job as a privilege to do that because, yeah, it's especially with Corona, um, it's so more valuable to me now. Yeah. That I, that I'm able to do this and uh, afford everything, um, from it. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's really a key factor when it comes to that. And there are so many great moments, um, playing live and exploring different countries and different audiences. And even if there are some conflicts or bad times, um, I'm still, yeah, I'm still loyal to it because I just, I'm just enjoying it uh, in general. So, Mm. Um, that's a key factor for me
0: I mean that's now that's now you where you know that you get to play for these audiences you get to travel the world you get to reach out with your music to people but when you were starting off when you were a starter for lack of a better term what was it would you say was the core factor that helped you know that okay this is something I want to stick to with the band Mm,
1: that's a, a difficult question um I think I'm just burning for it, mm. and I, I can't think of anything else um, to do, to be honest, as a job.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it has mm. to be something creative, though, but um, music was always the right decision for me.
0: Nice, I love that answer, man. And in specific context to the Alice Merton band in the earlier years, what was it then, at that point, that made you feel like, okay, this is a band I really want to stick to? Was it just the music or was it the people? Was it the yeah, chemistry? also the
1: people. We are all friends. We are not just a, um, like a higher or fire band. Gotcha. And um, yeah. we really like each other. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. Otherwise, um, being on tour, being in a tour bus um, for like uh, the maximum was five weeks, um, five weeks in total in the States. It's a lot of stuff. And um, it's a mixture between the music, the experiences and the people, I would say.
0: Makes sense.
1: How do you feel about these
0: hire-and-fire jobs? Have you done any of those? Like like major label hire-and-fire and jobs? Because, you know, a lot of people, especially from the Pop Academy, have, have been involved in projects like that as well. What are your What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I also did that, but I think in Germany it's something different than in the UK or in the States because yeah. Germany, um, the music scene is, in comparison to this hire-and-fire business in the States, um, it's not a shark tank. Um, it's... Yeah. It's more friendly than in the states, I would say.
2: Yeah,
0: can you um, have you had uh, experiences in US where, where it felt like you were in the midst of a shark tank?
1: Um, as a keyboard player, I'm I'm not thinking because we aren't that many, and mm-hmm. um, I think with drummers or guitar players is something different. Mm. Um, but as a keyboard player, I there isn't. I wouldn't say that I was experiencing that much competition. And even if it would happen, it's. I think it's more hidden, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's also about support because um, I'm having great colleagues who also sub me. I had Corona this year two times. Mm-hmm. So um, I have really good people um, Yeah, who saved everything, who has saved the whole show. And I think um, if you're into that Shark Tank mode uh, in the music scene, I don't know if it works. Um I think you have to just find your way and be a good person uh, to everyone. Yeah, I'm with you on that.
0: That's that's my camp. I also know a lot of people like the like the whole fire of that competition and just kind of you know proving themselves to be superior or something. To each their mm. own. I don't want to comment on that randomly, but uh, I would. Uh, I'm definitely in the same camp. I would say just kind of working on your people skills and just
1: being a decent human being
0: that's where music starts for me
1: yeah and um there are also different aspects which are really important uh, important to yeah uh, to be a good musician and it's not just being a good player but also um yeah being prepared being in time yeah not missing lobby calls at 6am in the morning yeah and also to be a person to drink to have a beer with you, know, but. yeah, that's that's a tall order,
0: you know. You want to be the person yeah. to have that beer, you know, when someone needs to have that beer, but you also don't want to be late for the lobby call. It's it's yeah. t- it's a tough job, you know. It's like a, almost like a paradox, you know, it's almost like yeah, an absolutely. impossible job at times, but um, yeah, sometimes, yeah, <laughs> sometimes you need to make that call between okay, am I gonna be that person who drinks that beer or am I gonna be that person who's on time for the lobby call because I didn't sleep enough
1: last night, yeah. It's tricky. I think it's a mixture between everything, but um, the playing aspect or like uh, the, uh, the aspect of um, being a great player with your instrument isn't th- isn't everything, you know? You yeah, have to so really true. focus on every aspect of yeah. being a pro musician. Yeah, people think, you know, it's the central
0: point, People think being a musician is about just being good at the instrument. And it is, but it's just really one part of it. If you, if it's something you're doing for a living,
1: that's literally one piece in the jigsaw puzzle. And I would think, um, coming back to like institutions like the Pop Academy, that music academies in Germany, like um, classical ones, are missing out um, on yeah on the whole business side of it. Um, right. There are great players coming from it, but um, yeah, they won't get a job because they're not prepared. They're yeah maybe sometimes they're just into jazz and overplaying everything and i think if you have to if you want to ha- make a living out of it it's it's really tough if you don't have this business side
0: tell us a little more about the business side like what were the most important skills you learned in that aspect which
1: helped you forge your career the way you have um i think self marketing a bit yeah. um also focusing on this whole taxes thing um which is Annoying, but still important. Interesting, yeah. Taxes, man, yeah. And also, I'm um, having um this session program in the Netherlands, just to um, I had situations, especially this year, where I was called two days in advance to play with a different band, um, a completely new set, wow. and there uh, you have to focus on just getting through it and having um, yeah, different tools to just do it and be quick with it and not have your gear in the way. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah, so good. Self-marketing, could you give us a little more on your of your take on it? How does that work for you? I'm not a great Instagram guy, to be honest, um, but I focus on have like um a mixture between everything I do on my socials. Mm-hmm. So I'm showing, okay, I, I worked on this production, I played keys on this track, I composed this track, uh, I played this festival with this artist. Um, so, a summary of my career as a musician.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's still important to have a website these days. I agree. Um, it's made a comeback. Many people are not having a website or are having a website um, which is old and not in not time anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to just have a landing page just to show who you are. I
0: agree. I agree. I'm studying with a couple of business mentors for a couple of years now. And one of them is actually not even related to music. And it's it's almost, I want to say sad, but not in a negative way, how a lot of musicians don't realize that we are entrepreneurs, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure, we can always choose how much we want to engage in that entrepreneurial side, but uh, not having the basics down like a landing page or a website, even if it's like just hard facts and a minimal thing. And just, you know, keeping your audiences in touch with what you're doing, maybe an email list. You know, it's things like that. Those are um, to not, I, I can think of one person who's had a sustainable professional career and absolutely not given a shit, mm. but he's of a completely different generation. So his network and his, community comes from a very different sidecast altogether. But apart from that, you know, for those listening as well, I think it's, I would say, not mandatory, but I can't think of a better term right now, for a professional musician to really get into this. Yeah, you know, get your landing page done, get your website up, because, you know, if you don't represent yourself someone else will and it will be in a way you didn't mean for yourself to be represented in. That's the part people don't realize. Exactly, yeah. And if you don't take charge of your artistic representation, someone else will and you have no control over what they're going to represent you as. Yeah, that's true. Right? Um, would you agree? I mean, I'm sorry, uh, my apologies if I hijacked your answer there.
1: Uh, I would uh, agree, yeah. Um, I think it's also um, a thing about the um, this whole social media thing um, that there are so many hypes um, so mm. I'm not a TikTok person yet <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> and I don't think that there's a benefit for me but maybe that will change in like two years or something but um, I think it's it's really important to be authentic um, yes. so I'm not, not a guy doing comedy while playing piano so mm. um, nobody is believing me if I do that so um, yeah I think just to represent what you do. And uh, if you are a funny person, then be funny on your Instagram. But um, yeah. Be that authentic. is so
0: interesting that you say that. Noah yesterday actually cited the exact example. <laughs> and that's quite a coincidence. You know, he, he talks about how, you know, if, if you want to do comedy as a pianist, you will attract a specific audience who thinks you're a comedian and not you don't really give a shit about how you play piano or are good, you know, how you play music. Yeah. And uh, that kind of traction, that kind of, a, you know, audience, it's how, where does that lead to? Do you think social media has actually helped uh, with your career, though? Or is it just a
1: reflection of what are you are doing? Yeah, I, I think it's an, it's an addition. Uh, especially with endorsements, it helps. Right. Um, because I'm working with different companies, and that's really helpful to have it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, word of, word of mouth is more important i would yeah. say just to be in the scene um get to know people that you are there that's even more important i would say
0: mm, i agree i agree okay big moment the grammy tell us about how that happened the the trajectory towards that how it made you feel what
1: was it like did your life change forever um it was crazy because um um uh, we um I'm working with a producer. His name is Shuku, he's a good friend of mine, and we were working for like seven years now and um we are doing a lot of samples. Mm-hmm. And the sample was picked by Kanye, and um we didn't know if it was going on, on the album. Amazing. But finally it made um its way to the album uh, on a track and everything was it was crazy. <laughs> it was a crazy time in 2021. Mm-hmm. And I think in October I received the nomination. Amazing. And I um, got the opportunity to buy tickets, so I had to buy them and um, flew to Las Vegas. And yeah, was um, at the ceremony and um, the award show and it was, it was crazy. It was a different <laughs> <Yeah>. world. <laughs> It is another world, isn't it? I mean, not
0: that I know. I've never actually been. But uh, how, what was the experience like? Did it feel
1: unreal, surreal? It, it felt a bit unreal. Um, like the the award show was just a a big concert, um, a mm-hmm. really big concert with all the the biggest artists of the planet, like Justin Bieber, Lady Gaga, um, Billie Eilish. Um, everyone was there, and um, I really enjoyed it, just to see everyone, just to see these crazy performances. And also um, the whole music scene of the world coming together in one city. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of Las Vegas, um, but I um, really enjoyed this glamour. And yeah, um, just to be there is, is is an experience. Amazing. I think the more interesting part to this
0: entire story is the fact that you didn't see that Grammy coming. You were just doing your thing. And all of a sudden that kind of led to this amazing result. So tell
1: us a little more about
0: the work you were actually putting in, the samples you were working on with the producer. What's
1: that workflow like? Um, so in, maybe I have to go back a bit because um, I played my last tour before Corona um, at the beginning of March mm-hmm. 2020. And then everything stopped. Right. So um, I had time and nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So I focused on doing samples, like doing, um, samples of different styles, um, just to have like loops. And, um, I am into like jazzy, solely stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, my goal was to uh, create samples, um, which sound as they were sampled from a record, like an old record. (sighs) And, um, Shuka and I are working together for a long time. And, um, we are flipping samples um, of each other and um, yeah uh, uh, I did this every day just to um, just to do something every day because Corona was really tough yeah. mm-hmm. um, because nothing happened but um, if you if you did a sample you at the end of, it, of the day you can say okay I did this uh, this production and um, you, you did something in, uh, in, in the day yep. so um, I did like 200 of them I think and yeah um,
0: what was the process like like were these keyboard samples or were they like over beats or what were you recording exactly
1: like um yeah like loops like um without drums mm-hmm. um but just different instruments like keyboards um I also have guitar and a bass guitar I even used uh, a flute for one sample um like an old uh, flute which is a little detuned nice uh just to have this um yeah this vintage vibe amazing man. and um yeah um editing everything um also using hardware effects and chopping it and yeah um just to have um a collection of different kinds of music i'm also into r and and stuff and luckily um we had some placements with it um we are um using track as a platform for samples so there we have some packs mm-hmm. and we're also sending some samples to um yeah, different producers and nice. the sole sample, which was um, for Kanye, um, just yeah landed there. Amazing. So it was on the website you just referred to? What, what was it? No, no, no. This was like a, a boutique sample, which we sent to some producers.
0: Okay. So when you say boutique sample, what's the difference between the regular ones and the boutique sample?
1: Um, we are just sending them out and um, we are not publishing them on websites. So we have sample packs on Tracklab and then Kingsway Music Library, but we're also sending some samples out to different producers. Ah,
0: like the like almost like a insider thing, only accessible to a specific community.
1: Yeah, we have like a like like a network of um yeah different co- collaborators.
0: Nice, lovely man. So so people who want to Because like, that's actually really so kind of great goal to have. You know, people have lofty goals like you know. Having a goal like winning a Grammy is a somewhat abstract goal to have for most of us. But working on something like this, for example, is a, is a realistic goal to have. So for anyone who's interested in working on their sample pack, growing credibility is the same in that. What would your recommendation be? How's the best way to go about that?
1: I wouldn't say that you should annoy people by sending them mails. Okay. Check my samples because I, I did receive these mails
2: mm.
1: and I'm not a fan of them. Yeah. But maybe this is also working. Um, yeah, just be authentic. Um, maybe show how you create these samples with a video or something. I think that's a, that's a nice way of showing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, also try not to copy something. Try to um, have something new, something unique. Um, maybe something which only you have. Um, I'm, for example, using um, a lot of hardware effects because yeah. everyone has a Nord these days. Yeah. So if I'm just using the raw Nord sound, um, it sounds like a, like a recording everyone could do. Yeah. But if, a, if I'm using like a effect chain with different effects and um, a lot of chopping around, um, it creates something unique. And Indeed. I think that's really important that you have something unique. So true. That
0: sounds like some really solid marketing advice, man. Do you think that's just the result of your experiences as a musician? Or did you actually like put in some hours into figuring out the marketing strategies of this as well?
1: I think um, for me, I think it was more lucky punch, to be honest. But also consistency, because I, I did like um, a sample every day. Exactly. Yeah. And um, that that did a lot for me because I also learned a lot um, when it comes to recording and shopping and uh, finding your way into Ableton and um, finding new sounds checking plugins Um, I also work together with Arturia who make great plugins and Mm. there's so much to explore it's crazy
0: yeah that sounds like solid advice man consistency actually you know people talk about successful marketing I think In my, and know that I'm an expert, experience the consistency is the foundation of any form of marketing, which eventually is just a reflection of what you're doing as work. But so many people tend to think marketing is just about putting out random updates, but you know, have something meaningful to update your audiences about in the first place. That's where it starts and that can't even happen without consistency, right?
1: And especially when it comes to um, Spotify and yeah. music marketing these days oh yeah it's getting so tough and whole different beats you really have to focus on if you have a release you have to promote it so well otherwise it will just be a release and nobody will care about it so true man yeah especially if you want to yeah earn money as a songwriter it's it's so tough indeed. it's so tough these days indeed yeah.
0: yeah my friend robert Koch. i'm not sure if you're familiar with his work either. Uh, producer based between L.A. and Berlin, Um, um, he he had, in in fact, I turned it into a blog post eventually That our conversation that he talks about how people don't realize we've come to a point where actually writing the song is like the easiest part of it almost. It's like, it's almost like parenting. You put out a baby, that's great. But, you know, the real part of parenting is actually taking care of that baby. Yeah, totally. Giving it the best feature it can, and that's actually—I mean, for the longest time for us artists, we thought you know, creativity was just that—create creation for creation's sake. It's 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 a different side, guys. Now it's but really, it's more of a parenting job now. You know, how do you take care of your music? How do you take care of your art? How do you nurture it? How do you put it
1: out there? Yeah, and there are so many aspects coming together, and um, it's a full-time job so true just to put out music it's a full-time job
0: so true man indeed Bastian this has been an absolute pleasure and honor man it's been so enlightening thank you so much for sharing these thoughts I think there's so much so much valuable information audiences are going to benefit from oh thanks for having me pleasure as all man gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon.